yes, Anakin is a whiny little bitch. Let's not <laughs> beat around the bush. But the romance scenes between them are like pure cheese romance gold. The dialogue that they have written for them really is like straight off the pages of a romance novel. If you like things that are coarse, rough, and irritating, you've come to the right place. But enough about sand. It's time to kick off another exciting installment of the Dagobah Dispatch, where we have another guest with another very controversial Star Wars opinion. Maureen Lee Lenker will be with us to tell us, and this is not a verbal typo, how absolutely amazing and intoxicating the love story between Anakin and Padme is in Attack of the Clones. It's going to happen, people, whether we like it or not. It's going down right here on the Dagobah Dispatch. And that's not all. We also have the author of the latest Star Wars, the High Republic novel, Convergence. Zoraida Cordova is hanging out with us to chat about the new book. Excited to get to all that. I'm Dalton Ross, uh, welcoming in our co-hosts, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan, fresh off the Thanksgiving break. And I want to reiterate uh, to everyone that Devin is, in fact, alive. I had my doubts after she was posting lots of horror movie-esque taxidermy photos and some spooky Airbnb <laughs> where she was staying. Uh, were you possessed at any point over the weekend? Devin? I was not possessed, but I was in my ancestral homeland, the Ozarks, um, in in middle of nowhere in Missouri. I went out with my family and, and we rented an Airbnb and we got there and there was so much taxidermy on the walls. <laughs> there were, at one point we counted about 12 deer heads, um, also some ducks. And the worst was there was this giant stuffed turkey who sat there and watched us in silent judgment as we ate our Thanksgiving dinner. And it was, it was a little, it was a little unsettling. Now how aware, like when you, when you, when you booked the Airbnb, did you see the photos of all these deer heads and stuffed turkeys or what? My, my aunt booked it and she was like, look, it's the middle of Missouri. We kind of knew that, uh, that you, you it's kind of hard to, to book an Airbnb that doesn't have at least one taxidermy deer head on the, on the wall. <laughs> um, uh, but she was like, I looked at another one, but they had, um, like exotic animals. And she was like, absolutely not. Cause we're a family of like veterinarians and like, like, Three or four people in my family are all veterinarians or, or veterinary technicians, or like half of them are vegan, and we're the most like animal friendly nerds you've ever met. Um, so it was it was a lot, but we had a lovely time. Otherwise, like we went hiking and we're <laughs> you know it was in just in the woods and and it was cool. But yeah, going to sleep at night it was a little there. There were a couple of creepy taxidermy heads staring down at you, and their eyes would follow you as you moved around. And I was just like, ah, uh, not not the vibe, not for me. <laughs> Not for me either. Uh, Lauren, any Star Wars holiday baking or other activities over the Thanksgiving break for you and the fam? Uh, no, not really. We didn't really do uh, that much. My parents dropped the turkey before they put it in the oven. So that was the big event on Thanksgiving. I'm a vegetarian, so I just thought it was kind of funny. But I don't know how the, the meat eaters felt. But they washed it off and put it in the oven. So, um, But yeah, that... That was our big event uh, on Thanksgiving. But, you know, the rest of it was relatively quiet. I once dropped a birthday cake. It was like a real, and it was like, there's a lot of drama around the cake. And I dropped it and outdoors. Oh, no. No one saw it. And I just kind of like wiped the top off. (laughs) It's like, I was going to get in so much trouble. I was going to get in so much trouble. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just, 
Like, no one has gonna, to know. Yep, no one has to know, and no my one did. My sister once once dropped my birthday cake. She was carrying it, on but purpose. it was in a box. So <laughs> I know your like sister. That's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it literally like flew out of her hands and landed. But like you know, it was smushed. But we ate it because it stayed in the box. But I was just like, of course you dropped my birthday cake, but. I want the reality show with Lauren and her sister. In fact, we should oh, just cancel this fun. podcast and just give those two a podcast. <laughs> and just, it doesn't have to be about anything. We're just going to tur- like just set up a call. We should turn have the mic her on. on. You could just listen to us argue for 40 minutes Incredible. over various things. Yeah. I need it. I need it all. Um, so we got we got two great guests uh, that we're going to have with us in a little bit. Uh, Maureen uh, from EW is going to join us to talk about the love story and Attack of the Clones and Zoraida Cordova, who wrote the new High Republic novel, Convergence, is going to join us. But a few things to, that I want to get to with you two. First off, uh, just wanted to read you guys a little Apple uh, podcast review we got here. Ooh. Very nice, uh, very complimentary. So I want to share it with you all. It comes from uh, Mary and Chaz. Now, I don't know if this is from Mary or Chaz <laughs> or Mary and Chaz. Could be both. Don't mm-hmm. know if there's a joint review, but they uh, they wrote us a review and the headline was Andor Recaps Rock with an exclamation point. And then Mary Andor Chaz said, all of the podcast episodes with a recap of the Andor shows and the interviews with the stars and creators have been epic. Thank you for all of your expansive coverage of Andor. And that is a super nice thing. I want to share it with you guys because we do this sort of collectively, right? Like we obviously do the podcast together, but then as we're covering Star Wars shows, Devin, Lauren, and I work right, together and we decide like, all right, who's got some time this week or who really wants to talk to this person? Like when we, we realized we could get Andy Serkis, I was like, oh, well, this, you know, Devin with her, her Lord of the Rings love, like she's got to talk to Andy Serkis. <laughs> so we, we work together for all this and, and try to give you guys some, some fun coverage along the way. And it's nice to see it was appreciated. So I wanted to pass, pass that along. That means a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we always appreciate reviews. If you guys leave us reviews, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast unless you trash us. Um, so <laughs> very nice. Uh, I also threw this in the Slack channel right before we were recording. I'm not sure if you guys saw this or not, but obviously it's the holiday season, ladies. A lot of items out there. Maybe you're looking for uh, items to get someone else, or maybe you're looking something to put on your list. Maybe that's that special someone or that someone in your family is like, hey, I don't know what to get you. So I saw this list of, of things and, and something caught my eye. It is a, uh, I, I swear I'm not getting paid to say this. So I, I, this is not an advertise. This is not a covert advertisement. <laughs> all right. Some company I'd never heard of called Love Your Melon, which I guess is your hat. I mean, your head, they, they make hats, I guess. Has the Star Wars Grogu adult beanie with ears. It's pretty good. Now, <laughs> I want to say that I'm kind of a sucker for hats with ears, just generally. <laughs> and I know that Lauren is a sucker for Grogu. So I'm not sure if you check this out, uh, Lauren, and what your thoughts were on the Grogu hat with Grogu ears. I, I have seen a, a fair amount of uh, hats with Grogu ears. And I just say my, my daughter should probably be glad that she is now seven and not a baby. Because if she had been a baby during the reign of, a baby Yoda she would have just been in nothing but baby Yoda hats you know that would have just been I did have like a, I had a princess Leia hat for her for a while it was this little knit cap and then I used to put on her as a baby where, with the cinnamon bunny ears oh but I love yeah. that yeah yeah so I have a photos of her as like a four-month-old looking like slightly disgruntled wearing a ba- <laughs> uh, <laughs> princess Leia hat but yeah I I don't know that might be a little bit uh, a little far for me but you know would you wear that Dalton? I don't, 
so I'm looking at it and um, I'm not sure it's my shade. It's sort of like a, what is it? Like a, a sort of a, a, a light green here. Mm-hmm. It's baby Yoda colored. Yeah, it's, it's baby Yoda, Yoda colored. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, a an Etsy knitted like Boba Fett helmet hat. <laughs> of course you do. That when I really want to embarrass my kids, I wear that. Like it's super, like it's not subtle. It's not like... It takes you a little while to make out what like it's big, it's colorful, it's red and green, and it's <laughs> mm-hmm. just it's got it's got the giant antenna. Like you literally have an antenna sticking out of your head when you wear this hat. That's so, so funny. So that's that's my go-to Star Wars hat on that one. So um I've got a big sweater from her universe that has the rebel insignia on it, and I wore it a lot this week, and it's my favorite sweater. What about ugly Christmas sweaters or things like I, that? I I just generally like ugly sweaters. Like I wear wild sweaters through like that's my my thing. Like I will probably wear a very wild sweater into the office tomorrow. But uh yeah, I just like wild sweaters. They don't even have to be ugly Christmas sweaters, but if it's like a, a completely wild pattern, I'm like that's my sweater. I'm getting it. Now, so. how wild is wild, Lauren? What are you talking it's, about It's here? pretty, oh. I mean. <laughs> so you're going to wear it tomorrow. Um, I'll see you in the sweater tomorrow. I can I'll, 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 wear the, I'll wear my new, one of my new more wild sweaters tomorrow. So. All right, I'm going to take a picture of Lauren Morgan in her quote unquote <laughs> wild sweater. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They're usually always striped. I mean, they honestly, they look like a toddler would wear them. What if I wear a wild sweater too? Okay. Oh we can just wear wild sweaters. I'm going to wear a wild day? sweater. Yeah. We're having yeah. a sweater off. We're okay, having I'll sweater, have sweater off. off. I'll wear a sweater tomorrow and send you guys okay. a picture from the, even though I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's and 80 degrees. Sweater. <laughs> sweating in her sweater. All right. I don't uh, have any, I don't have any Star Wars sweaters though. So, you know, I think my husband was, I wanted that Ewok sweater on the Shop Disney site, but no one has gotten it for me yet. So I have a Doctor Who sweater. That's a oh, different that's space franchise. Yeah. yeah. Clark Hollis would be uh, interested in checking that out. Okay. Time to bring in our uh, distinguished guest. She is a founding member of the self-proclaimed Dagobah Dames. Uh, she loves Star Wars and she loves love, which is why she is here with us today. And she is ready to partake in some aggressive negotiations of her own. As she explains why the budding love affair between Anakin and Padme in Attack of the Clones is not, in fact, the worst part of any Star Wars movie ever and is actually a swoon-worthy romance that's right. She is about to put the hot into a Star Wars hot take as EW's Maureen Lee Lenker is in the virtual house. What's going on, Maureen? Um, I think that's the best introduction I've ever received in life. <laughs> um, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here today. I do want to preface my hot take with saying that this does not, even though I feel this way, it does not negate my opinion that the prequels would be better if it was a love triangle between Anakin, Obi-Wan, yes! and Padme. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still believe that deeply. I just also still like Attack of the Clones the most of the prequels because of the romance. <laughs> Don't they sort of tap dance into that a little bit at the end of Revenge of the Sith? Like, I feel like when Obi-Wan shows up uh, on Mustafar and then Padme sort of walks down the ramp, I feel like at least in Anakin's head, he's thinking... What's yes. going on in that spaceship? I don't like the look of that. I think Anakin definitely is reading things into it. And also I will say re-watching clones for this. At the very beginning when Obi-Wan and Anakin reunite with Padme and haven't seen her in like 10 years, um, there's definitely some chemistry between her and Obi-Wan at first. 
Uh, but then, you know, she goes off alone with Anakin. So, All right. so, so we're going to let Maureen sort of state her case here. Uh, we're going to give her a safe space, or at least somewhat safe until the three of us just start bashing her, um, to, to state her case on the level. Because what I'll do is I'll just say this. I've always actually somewhat defended Attack of the Clones a little bit. But what I've said is it's 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 two movies. This is a movie that are two movies. There's the action sort of investigation Obi-Wan movie happening. And then there's the love story between Anakin and Padme happening. And I've always said one of those movies is actually pretty good. But Maureen's here to tell me that I have the wrong half. I think it's actually <laughs> pretty good. So so go ahead and, uh, and, and state your case. Okay. So here's the thing. First of all, I... Like when I was 14 was when I first formed this opinion. And I was really worried upon rewatching that I would be like, no, you were 14 year old emo, hopeless, romantic, and you were wrong. Opinion did not change upon rewatch because this is why. Like, yes, Anakin is a whiny little bitch. Let's, <laughs> let's not, let's not beat around the bush, but. That the romance scenes between them are like pure cheese romance gold. Like the dialogue that they have written for them really is like straight off the pages of a romance novel. Like, honestly, Padme's line uh, before they go into the arena, when she's like, I'm not afraid to die. I've been dying a little bit, bit each day since you came back into my life. Like, oh, uh. I would kill to write a line like that. <laughs> like, that's that is just romance gold. And um, and it's like they're on Naboo, which is like Como, and so it's beautiful and romantic, and they're rolling around in the grass, and the water <laughs> is there, and like, I don't know, I feel like. Look, Han and Leia are gold standard for Star Wars romance. Doesn't get better than that. But like, when you want to talk about other ships, I'm sorry, floating half a pair across the table is way hotter than shirtless Jedi messaging. It just is. <laughs> it's a nice move. I'll give you the pair. I'll, I'll give you the pair. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a smooth move. I, I, I will say this because you're talking about the dialogue if we're, if we're going to go there. I was rewatching the scenes. I just went to like all the, Pat, the Padme Anakin scenes and my wife, who's not a Star Wars person at all, She's kind of like, you know, reading or something in the corner. And she literally goes, what is that? The dialogue is horrible. <laughs> like, she was like her only reaction was like that how bad the, the dialogue um, was. Because you're talking about the uh, the uh, arena scene. Guys, can we just go to the uh, the after dinner scene? You know, the one where Padme's in the pseudo S&M outfit. You know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> Which, There's like some dark yeah. lighting. <laughs> okay. I have to tell you that until I watched this, I forgot that I bought my sophomore year winter formal dress because it looked like that dress. Yeah. I love it's that. Good, it's a hot look. That's it's incredible. a good look. Incredible. It's a good look. But let me just read you some of these lines of dialogue and you tell me if this sounds like anything that would roll off anyone's tongue in a natural conversation. If you are suffering as much as I am, please tell me. We live in a real world. Come back to it. You are asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Now, here's my favorite one. If you follow your thoughts through to conclusion, I mean, I don't even need to say the rest of the line. It's a, who says if you follow your thoughts through to conclusion? A it's teenage just, senator, Dalton. Yeah. yeah, she's like 18. Uh, 
It's uh, it's 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 tough dialogue to get through, and that's that's basically. And and I want to hear Lauren and Devin say, but my whole issue with it is that I think the dialogue is generally terrible and unnatural, and I think that that also plays into the promise the problems with the performances. And I don't when I say that I don't blame the actors. I actually think Hayden Christensen is a good actor, and I could point to some scenes. I can point to that scene where he's telling Padme in this movie on Tatooine about his feelings after slaughtering the sand people. He's great in that scene. Yeah. I think he's really, really good. And we know Natalie Portman is obviously a fantastic, you know, award-winning actress. But everyone seems to do their worst when directed by George Lucas. You know what I mean? Like we could go back to the original movies and how whiny Luke is, and I I always talk about how like the, the weird scene where Princess Leia has a British accent for no reason whatsoever. And no one likes thought to say, hey, maybe don't do that. So I feel like he does not helping out his actors. And I feel like they could have used some help more. Yeah. I, OK, I will agree with that. I feel like a lot of these scenes are the epitome of you can write this shit, but you can't say it. Right. Um, and I. But at the same time. I. I agree that a lot of it is like clunky and in uh, not like natural human parlance, but the like sentiments of like, I'm suffering. I've been dying since I met you. Like I could read that uh, in a romance novel, definitely better written, but like, I think the, the sentiment is there and I agree. It's not the best directed love scenes and it is pretty cheesy that the, the rolling around in the grass with <laughs> it's so silly, but I kind of love it for how silly it is. And I do think that Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman genuinely have chemistry. Like that Teen Vogue shot uh, of the two of them from when this came out, yes, which was mm -hmm. on every teen and tween age girls wall circa 2002 um i mean like that was like a steamy really great photo shoot and i feel like that chemistry comes through here like we love to talk about why would you choose anakin when obi-wan is right there but i think you dialogue aside you can genuinely see why this relationship grows i mean there's a little bit of that toxic like i want to take care of this man and make him better um but you can see the like admiration and respect for each other. And especially on Anakin's side, he comes in, he's had this like decades long crush on this beautiful girl who he met as like a small boy. And then you can see her realizing the ways in which he's grown up and changed and he's not at all who she thought he was. And I will say John Williams, God bless you, like Across the Stars is an A plus love theme. Oh, so well, good. you know what? Wait, I, 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 I don't I don't know which one like there's a few songs near it. Love Pledge. First of all, I don't like the I don't like the title <laughs> Love Pledge. I don't like that. That's the one where on the balcony where he kisses her and all of a sudden the music kind of stops when she pulls away. I don't know. Scratch. I, I, I don't want to in incur the ire of Devin Cogan and besmirch the reputation of John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, but but Love Pledge, which sounds like a B 52 song, uh, <laughs> just like doesn't necessarily do it for me. I'll say not, that. Not the best title, but no, yeah, I I get I, I kind of agree with you, Maureen. I do love how much these films kind of lean into sort of the romance tropes you know i mean i've been thinking a lot about this because i've been watching a lot of marvel movies and i love marvel very much but it's so it's so sexless and there's like no romance and it's just really i feel like 
we it's been a long time since we've had like a big budget movie, like a big franchise that actually has like sweeping romance you know, in its DNA. I feel like people have sort of like, oh, it's cheesy, it's gross, it's whatever. And these are films where even though they don't work, like they lean into it, like string heavy score, beautiful Lake Como setting, like, like God, all the scenes on Naboo are absolutely gorgeous. And and that's something that I, I do really love about the prequels is like the production design and the sets and the fact that we go to other planets that aren't just Tatooine over and over and over again. Um, and so like that stuff really works for me, but I am one of those people who I'm like, how do you, if you're going to develop a crush on an unattainable Jedi, are you going to go with whiny guy who murdered the sand people or hot bearded detective Kenobi who's out here saving the galaxy? Maybe so, that's why they gave him the mullet. So just like to t- tone down Obi-Wan's to, hotness. He still works the mullet though. No, yeah. he, he only well, got good hair in Revenge of the Sith. I don't know, so. but Anakin's hair in this is not much better. He's oh, got the, Pad- no, the no. Padawan braid. Anakin, so. Anakin had terrible hair all the way through. But. I mean, I will say, like, and I don't know how you, where, on, where on the spectrum you guys fall in this. Um, like, I personally am of the mind that it's totally BS that Jedis cannot be in romantic relationships. Oh, it's nonsense. I mean, yeah. I feel that I grew up Catholic. I feel that way about priests too. It's like, yeah, it's not going to get in the way of yeah. the force or God or whatever. It's fine. And also plenty, plenty they, uh, the uh, novels have explored this a lot, but there's been plenty of Jedi action going on. Even though <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be. So a hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting. Lauren Morgan has not said a lot, and that could mean you're in trouble, Maureen, because she was very quiet at first mm-hmm. during the Rise of Skywalker discussion, and then she just unleashed, <laughs> uh, you know, the the dark side of the Force on poor Jess. So, Laura, Lauren, Maureen said that she felt that there was really good chemistry between Anakin and Padme in this film. Um, what are your thoughts on this love story? So I saw this, I think, when I was like 24 years old. I remember, I and I will admit, Attack of the Clones, I have only seen it like twice. I have not seen this movie a lot. It's probably the lowest I've seen. Uh, maybe Rise of Skywalker I've also only seen twice. So they're, they're low ranked for me. Um, but I remember watching it in the theater and going, these two people have chemistry, but this dialogue is awful. <laughs> like, I just, I was just like thinking, like, if I could just watch this silently and like, cause it's like the overall concept of the romance I like, like the forbidden romance and, you know, there, there was all this sort of stuff. I like that part of it, but the execution of it, I'm like, oh my God, this dialogue's killing me. Um, but it, it's funny cause like later on and I just read, uh, Queen's Hope by E.K. Johnston, which is all about the, their romance and there's the secret, uh, part of it behind it. And I'm like, and it's very compelling when you're just not listening to that dialogue. So, I mean, it's kind of like, I like Anakin and Padme in theory more than in practice in this movie. And I've, I've liked them later on when they've done other stuff with them. Like there, there's a lot of them in the Clone Wars that, you know, you're like, Oh, you get to see these two actually in a marriage and how they work in a marriage. And it's kind of interesting that way. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't, you would have to tie me to a chair to actually want to watch attack of the clones again, but I, I do think they do have actual chemistry. So that's well, kind of Lauren, how I feel about it. All I have mm-hmm. to say to that is that your hate has made me powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think part of the reason, you know, Luke and Han are so great is that you had Carrie Fisher doing punch-ups on the script. I would yeah. love mm-hmm. to read Carrie Fisher's version of, of the, oh, you know, the Anakin. That would be Padme so romance. good. 
George Lucas is a very talented man, but dialogue is not his forte. I will say the same thing about James Cameron. James Cameron, very talented. Please don't write dialogue. That's the only thing I have between the two of them. I'm like, you two cannot write human sounding dialogue at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, if you're suffering as much as I am, please tell me. Doesn't really go on a t shirt as well as <laughs> yeah. I love you. I know. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan is definitely a better dialogue writer. Right. I, I, I think that Maureen and Devin are, are definitely onto something, though, when they say the look of Naboo. I, I agree with that. And it oh, was interesting so was going back and mm-hmm. watching it um, again the other day was for all this super over CGI like situation and all these prequels, the Naboo stuff looks the best. And and I and mm-hmm. like even just from seeing so um you know the, the thing is kind of annoying. I hate the way the movie keeps cutting it back. So you have these really like that's a, another problem is that these these scenes don't have time to breathe. Like yeah. you're with Padme and Anakin, then it cuts to Obi-Wan for a quick second that goes back to Padme and Anakin, but now they're somewhere else. And it's like, wait, now it's 10 year, hours later, what's happening? But like, when you do go back and forth, the, the Naboo stuff looks great. And then you go in the Jedi temple and there's this one scene where he's literally just walking through a hallway. It looks so bad. And just so like, it's clear he's in an empty warehouse with a big blue tarp over it. And they just put in this environment. So that helps. I want to say this about Anakin and Padme. I the, the best scene I think between them is actually the one where they're uh, in the palace, essentially arguing in front of the new queen, and and uh, you know someone's like asks, "Oh, Master Jedi," and she's like, "Oh yeah, he's not a Jedi yet. He's just a Padawan." And he's like, "Hold on a second. and she's like, "Excuse me." He's like, "Excuse me," like, like, but that felt real. Like I, that that was actually worked really well. It was a good back and forth. It wasn't like stupid dialogue, and and you saw them sort of in this weird. He's not a little boy anymore. He's grown up, uh, and I really liked that scene. I wish there was kind of more of that. I think that's uh, a similar to, I really like the scene where he has the breakdown about the sand people. As you said, Dalton, it's very well acted by Hayden Christensen. But I think Natalie Portman plays that perfectly too, where she doesn't really know what to do with him in that moment. Like she feels for him and she's hurting with him for him. And she started to develop feelings for him. But she doesn't know how to make this better because there really isn't a way to make it better. And so I think that's another example of where like their chemistry just gets to shine and they're not weighed down by plowing their way through (laughs) strange dialogue. And I agree, like the Naboo stuff, it's really hard to tell what the timeline is. Um, So it's hard to like get a feel for how quickly she's going from you are just a child to uh, now I'm attracted to you. Um, but I will say, particularly on Naboo, like her costumes are oh, so, so amazing. Like that gold renaissance dress out in the, the field. Um, just They're just excellent. I remember um, when this movie came out, um, because this is really more of the Padme fashion show than the first movie, that Carrie Fisher was like, I wore two dresses in all of a new hope one for like 80 percent of the movie and every time you turn around that woman has on a new outfit (laughs) i remember when she said that 
I love when he, after he's just had the nightmare and he's kind of out on the balcony. She goes out, allegedly just woke up and just like oh. the hair is perfect and oh, the makeup, but that the outfit. nightgown, yeah. Yeah. oh, that nightgown is so beautiful. Well, when he like rescues her from the um, the bounty hunter at the very beginning, um, like she's in this like nightgown and she's just like laying there and her her hair is like perfectly arranged on the pillow. <laughs> and I'm like, my hair has never looked that good once in my life, let alone like, oh, I just woke up and I'm wearing this like shoulder like. Peek, peekaboo shoulder nightgown. It's just like, oh, what a, what a vibe. I've never known anyone with curly hair to wake up with perfect curls like that. No, it's just, right? No, no. It's like literally they look like Albert Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're going to talk like Star Wars romance, it's interesting because we've sort of touched on some of the, the books and stuff. I don't know if any of you have read Shadows of the Empire. Uh, it was part of this weird 90s pre-Disney Lucasfilm initiative where they did a video game and there's comic <laughs> books and they did a book. It's kind of like what they're maybe trying to do with like High Republic now. And um, But there was, there's this book, Shadows of the Empire, and there's this, this sort of gangster sort of type character named, I think it's like Prince Zizor or something. But essentially one of his superpowers are pheromones. Incredible. And so he uses those on Princess Leia. And there's this whole scene where Princess Leia's like, oh, why, why am I feeling so hot and flushed? Because <laughs> Zizor is like just bursting out with the, with the pheromones. So I know Maureen being into the romance novels and being a princess and a scoundrel, she might want to uh, check, out, check out the Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, no, that, I love that. That sounds, that sounds great. Um, I feel like, like somebody must have been around a, a woman going through like fertility treatment and was like, this, this is a great superpower. What <laughs> can we just, while we're talking about the, the Padme, uh, Anakin relationship and something that I'd never really thought about till I watched the other day. And, you know, at the very end, they have that scene and they're getting married and he's got his weird robot hand. That's sort of like <laughs> a classroom, which is very, not very romantic in the least. And I'm thinking, like, this is supposed to be a huge secret, right? Like, they're not, they're, they are going to now live a lie. She said, we can't live a lie, but they've decided to do it. We have to keep this under wraps. Our love has to conquer all and we have to get married. If you're going to do that and you want to keep it a secret, why would you invite C-3PO to essentially <laughs> be the best man? Yeah. That dude does not shut up. And he's sitting there right next to them getting uh, married. It is pretty funny, especially where she was like, I am going to like wear the fancy dress and we're going to have an efficient and it's like going to be a whole wedding, but it's a secret. We can't tell yeah. anyone. I mean, to be fair, though, like how often does C-3PO, how often does he have his memory reprogrammed? Because <laughs> like, if, if not at any moment, he could tell Luke and Leia like, oh, yeah, I was at your parents' wedding, by the way. I always <laughs> thought that they were going to do something with that, like something like like they would be stumbling onto like this recording that R2-D2 had. Just be like, well, my favorite is that like R2 just knows everything and never bothers to tell anyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, R2 has been in more events, like notable <laughs> events in the galaxy than probably anyone else. Well, that's like just... Bail Organa did quite a memory wipe on him at <laughs> the Revenge of the Sith. He was Barely. like, we're taking everything out of this one. So, And, and poor Jar Jar not getting an invite. You know, Misa not yeah. invited? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well, he, he knew was, it was probably close by. 
too busy giving the emperor powers that he didn't need in the Senate. <laughs> That's right. What about <laughs> Boss Nass? Boss Nass couldn't have made it to the wedding? Just sort of like, I don't know, witness All or something? All of Padme's handmaidens. Like, uh, Kira know. Knightley and Rosebird. Sabe, Sophia Coppola? Sophia yes. Coppola couldn't have been there? Uh, one, one, I have always wanted to just interview all of the handmaidens who are now famous, like Sophia Coppola and yeah. Rose Byrne and Kira Knightley, and be like, "What was it like to have no lines?" Well, it's funny, like there's like there's a Darth Vader comic where like basically one of the handmaidens is basically making Darth's life miserable because they're trying to kill him. So oh, yeah. I was just like, I was like, and I think it's supposed to be Kira Knightley ones. I'm like, that should be a limited series. These two just going at each other, so. Well, isn't that a pretty, anyway. I mean, like, is she having success killing Darth? It doesn't seem like the handmaiden would have the upper hand in that <laughs> Well, it's like, it's like, she's she's pretty deadly in her in her own uh, her own right. But it's like, I think it's like, a, it's been kind of an ongoing thing. I'm Obviously, she hasn't killed him, but I, I think like, you know, he, he at first, when he first saw her, he thought it was Padme. So he was just like completely freaking out. But I will say, even though Revenge of the Sith is arguably a, a better movie, that mm-hmm. I prefer the Anakin and Padme relationship in this too because they're just so much more on an even footing. Like when they're in the arena at the end, like she's the one with the key out there, like kicking butt and saving their asses. And, you know, like that is such a far cry from losing the will to live. That's <laughs> still so um, annoying. Still so annoying. What's your diagnosis, Devin? Devin, what's your uh, medical diagnosis of, of uh, Padme's condition? Uh, just that she's, uh, she, she died of a broken heart. But like, the thing is, I always joke that like, who, who, who is that droid? What is his medical training? (laughs) Like, it's clearly, clearly terrible. Okay. Also, while we're talking about this movie, while we're talking about Padme, um, our colleague Christian Holub and I rewatched this earlier this summer as part of EW's 2002 rewatch. So you can go read our thoughts on EW.com. But one of the things that always makes me laugh about this is when, um, Padme goes into the arena wearing like a normal outfit and then like gets gets ripped perfectly artfully and then so now she's wearing like a hot little crop top but like no blood or anything it's just like perfectly ripped and like doesn't move at all it is the most absurd thing i've ever seen and it never fails to make me laugh uh it's so iconic though with the like shawl that goes around it when i did a star wars 10k at disneyland i was podme in this movie because it's like real easy to run in that outfit. <laughs> Your midriff gets a lot of breathing room. <laughs> you didn't want to go Phantom Menace, her original uh, queen outfit? No, that wasn't the one? With the giant headdress. Yeah, the giant headdress. Yeah. <laughs> Balancing that on your head. <laughs> Leaning a little too far to the left. It's and so like good. nine pounds of makeup on your face. Oh, I geez. bet someone crazy oh, would Maria, have done I feel like stuff. we were kind to you. I, I I feel like we were kind to you this 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 trip. We we didn't we didn't come in down too hard considering our, our thoughts on on this film and the love story. Is there anything else you want to say in your defense? No, I think I feel like I've said it all. Like I understand the arguments for why people hate this or find it cringy. I just don't. I eat it up like like cotton candy or anything else that is like too sweet and sugarly. Like yes, it's bad, but I'm. I just can't resist it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, just eat that right up. Blast across the stars on full volume. Roll around in the grass, imagining that I'm on Naboo. Like, give, give it all to me. I love it. I love it so much. That this is why I was so excited to have you on of delivering your Star Wars hot take on on Padme and Anakin as they're keeping things hot there in Naboo. And um, 
we'll see if, if, if the people agree, hit, hit Maureen up on social media, hit, hit her up on the Twitter while Twitter is still a thing, I guess. Uh, and, and, and let her know, uh, let her know how you feel. Maureen, thanks so much for hanging out. This is an absolute blast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. May the force be with you guys. <laughs> All right, the last time Maureen was on the show was to discuss a Star Wars book, and now we have a new Star Wars novel out. It is the latest in the High Republic series. It's called Convergence, and it's written by Zoraida Cordova. And Zoraida spoke all about it with our own Lauren Morgan, and we will play that interview for you right after this super quick break. How are you doing today? I'm good. So you were telling me at New York Comic Con that you've kind of always been a Star Wars family. Have you always read the Star Wars books? Like, was that sort of part of your Star Wars fandom? It wasn't part of my Star Wars fandom in the beginning, um, mm. mostly because I I grew up in Queens, New York, and um, I didn't really have access to the library. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom didn't buy books for us unless they were from a liquidator, you know, like single mom house, like... Uh, the books she bought me were from like a, a, a super used bookstore, which was like uh, had Stephen King and Lord of the Rings, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, uh, also mm -hmm. very formative um, for most writers. Um, but I didn't realize that there were supplementary books until I started going to the library later on. And so then I started reading them and there were so many and not mm -hmm. in order and our library didn't have very many of those books. And so it wasn't until I, I was a little older that I, I I could buy them for myself. And and now I'm going through the whole backlist in addition to uh, the new canon and the legends, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I haven't really dug into the Legends one that much. Like, I, I, I just bought, like, Heir to the Empire. Uh, do you have a favorite one? Like, of the new canon, uh, my co-host Dalton and I always talk about how much we love Bloodline by Claudia oh, Gray. Gosh. Claudia is my favorite mm -hmm. Star Wars author. Um, and it, for me, you know, Bloodlines is so incredible. But honestly, Lost Stars is still my favorite. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's such a good one. No, and I know one. it, because it just spans so many so many years and um and it's just it was just a per like a pitch perfect book mm -hmm. that's right yeah it's a, such a great book i love that one um and so talking about your own book convergence is coming out in a few weeks so can you tell us a little bit about convergence yes convergence is uh the first book in the adult uh duology of the star wars uh the high republic phase mm -hmm. two it's set in the outer rim between these two planets, Aram and Arano. And they are currently locked in a five-year war. And they're pretty much secluded in their, their region and space. And so their war has now started to impact other planets. It's impacted um, their supply chain. And so the Jedi and the Republic have arrived to try to negotiate a peace um, and so we open in a ceasefire that goes horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Very much um, so. And so that's sort of the catalyst to brokering a peace treaty um, 
starting with a union between the two young royals of of each planet. Um, And so this marriage alliance has to be protected at all costs. And one representative from the Jedi, Gelen Atai, is there. And so is Axel Greylark, who's representing his mother, uh, Chancellor Kion Greylark. Uh, She's one of the two chancellors of the Republic at this time. And so... um, the four of them are basically on a a peace tour around their planets, distributing aid. Somebody's trying to kill the heirs. And so Mm -hmm. they're there to protect them. And, and it's a really fun book for me to write because it explores the Jedi, the politics and my favorite trope, which is a marriage alliance. (laughs) (laughs) I always enjoy that one as well. Um, And like, so uh, for people who who haven't read any of the High Republic stuff, phase one took place 200 years before The Phantom Menace. This is like 350 years before The Phantom Menace. So how do you feel like the story fits in like sort of the greater arc of High Republic phase two? I know we had Path of Deceit came out just a little bit, uh, I think at the beginning of this month. Um, and so how long after Path of Deceit is this supposed to happen? I don't, I, you know, I don't want to say, cause I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it, it's all sort of within a very, uh, contained time period. So they're, they're, uh, we're all gearing up to, to this big event, um, mm-hmm. And um, which takes place after after my book in George Mann's book, The Battle of Jalna and um, Cataclysm mm-hmm. by uh, Lydia Kang. Um, but the the time period specifically for convergence um, it is it's different because we're we're used to seeing the Jedi in very different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're as, as a fandom, we've been introduced, we were introduced to Jedi as, as an order that had fallen, right? There were just a few mm-hmm. people left over. And then we go back, we go back to the prequels and we see the Jedi as these, these warriors that are aligned uh, with, with the Republic and, you know, they fight together. Um, and even though they don't technically, they don't see themselves that way in the beginning, that's how they sort of evolve. Um, through the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, and so it, during this time period, they're truly, truly guardians um, and they're guardians of peace. Um, and so it it feels different writing the Jedi in this time period because of that, because it's so unexplored. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and Tessa and Tessa and Justina and Path of Deceit do such an incredible job um, with with that YA novel um, when it comes to the Jedi and and sort of the things that they're, the I guess the um theology part of yeah <laughs> of, of Jedi uh wisdom. Yeah, I thought what uh, one of the things that I think is so interesting about uh that and then also your book because you touch on uh that as well is that before we only really knew about the Jedi as the force users. And so that the fact that they're we are seeing in these couple of books, um, we're exploring other people who are using the force or believing in the force in, in a completely different way than the Jedi did. So I thought that was kind of a fascinating element uh, that sort of sets the stage for everything else is kind of going around uh, here. But like getting to the like the the your four main characters can you tell us a little bit about each one and like the creation of them and how much i because i know you're you're working in this big kind of group of people but like how did the whole process of creating them go and like if you have a favorite one <laughs> you know um so we have our jedi we have galena Tai. um mm-hmm. she is very keen on becoming the 
most admirable best Jedi ever. And so she, but, but for her, it's, it's, it, it's very difficult because every time she tries to do the right thing, it, it goes wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. That she's so hyper-focused on, on the end result. She doesn't stop to think all the time, um, but not in a reckless way. Like Anakin, yeah. it's like a, a little bit, a, a little bit more rain back, but she follows her, she follows her instinct and, and, and she has a lot of emotion uh, for a Jedi. Uh, then there's Axel Greylark, who is my favorite. <laughs> he is um, a troublemaker, and he is the son of uh, one of the chancellors, like I said. Um, and he's sort of been sent because um, he loves to gamble, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so as as punishment for gambling, his mom sends him to uh, to the Outer Rim, to, to uh, the middle of nowhere. And it takes so much longer to get there because we don't have the hyperspace lanes that we're mm-hmm. used to. Um, so we have these, these uh, uh, EX com droids sort of uh, charting a path, right? Like, like Christmas lights uh, through the galaxy. Um, and, and so he's sort of resentful for being there because he doesn't particularly like the Jedi. And so creating him, I created him because um Gela is a character who loves order mm-hmm. and r- is ruled by order and he is ruled by disorder. And so he sort of loves like needling her and, um, and, and she challenges him, but he also challenges her uh, because she makes him think that, Oh, well, maybe some people don't actually like the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the two Royals from Aram and Arano. Aram is the water planet and Arano is uh, the sort of arid desert mm-hmm. planet. Um, I think of it sort of like the Southwest, right? Like like uh, the Grand Canyon with all of these like rocks. That's interesting. Rocks. I was kind of thinking of it like sort of like Arrakis and Dune where it's just like, I mean, I know that that has had such an influence on like things like tattooing and stuff like that, but that's just sort yeah. of dry, arid, you know? Yeah, I think it's like those have more sand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let's go more rocky. Yeah, um, more rocky. And uh, and so, uh, uh, the there's Ziri. Ziri is a captain. I always wanted to write, you know, a space princess because, mm-hmm. of course, Princess Leia was such an influence, influential character, one of my favorite characters in fiction. Um, and so I wanted to write uh, uh, a princess who's also a, sort of a, a commander, a, a warrior, and um, she's been trained to fight her whole life. Um, and she's fighting her, the enemy, Aram, um, and Fan Tuzen is the, the heir from, from, from Aram. And he does not like to fight. He's, he is more, you know, uh, the people of Aram have, uh, protective domes, electrostatic domes that sort of protect them. And, and so they, they're sort of, they're not apathetic, but they don't always look up when something's blowing up in the sky because they're, con- they, they know that their their weaponry system is going to shoot it out of the sky mm-hmm. and they'll be safe. Um and so these planets are also dealing with drought uh with um with uh they don't have they can't they don't have access to water. Uh there's famine and they're fighting each other and so they've run out of supplies and so how do you fight how do you fight a war mm-hmm. uh while you're also fighting the very real problems that you have for your own people. Um yeah. And so that's it, it it it's it it creates a lot of room for uh for conflict 
Yeah, I mean, it's like they're both fighting each other, but they're also fighting their own planets because at Irana, there's just there's no water. And then in on Aram, there's or Irem, there's just way too much of it sometimes. It's water, but it's salt water. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so they can't do anything okay. with it. So. Um, and, and they don't even have the desalination plants until uh, phase two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sorry, phase one. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that was very interesting. And then I think like I what I really liked about Gala is that she's not sort of like, you know, she's she has so much doubt about sort of her place in the Jedi currently. She's feeling like an outsider. And I thought what was really interesting between um, between Gela and Ziri and Fantu is that Gela doesn't have a home, doesn't have a sense of home. Like she doesn't like the Jedi Temple isn't home for her as it is for some other people. For Ziri and Fanju, they're so closely tied to their home planets. So I thought that that was a really interesting dynamic between her, this person without any kind of sense of home, and these two people who are just so tied into it. So I thought that was like kind of a fascinating combination uh, between them. And then there's, and then there do have Axel just being the chaos prince of, you know, someone who is living in like the highest pinnacle of the whole entire galaxy and like the highest, you know, power position in Coruscant and is just kind of miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I love, uh, I love spoiled, uh, spoiled Royals. This yes. Yeah. Good. Uh, they're, they're so messy. <laughs> yeah. And um, but like going back to to Gala, like I really did like the idea that she was just kind of an outsider and still trying to sign, sort of find her place. Like she's a Jedi master, but she's still sort of trying to find her way. And I thought that was a very relatable, you know, sometimes the Jedi are sort of a little hard to relate to, uh, depending yeah. on which Jedi we're talking to, <laughs> we're well, talking she's, about. She's a Jedi knight and she's been told that she could, she has a potential. Um, but she also, she's, she doesn't know the thing that she's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's, I feel like the, the Jedi during this time period are very interesting because they are tied to the force. And so mm-hmm. but the force can't be somebody's home. Right, it's something that ties the 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 galaxy together. But you know, you can't live in it, Mm -hmm. like technically, Um, and it can't feed you except it can feed your soul, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, unless you know you're maybe there's a very uh, gifted Jedi who can can (laughs) feed off the fires. Yeah, uh, I'll double check with story group. Don't quote me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, Um, but but um, but. I do, I do think that Gala, Gala's, I guess, rootlessness mm-hmm. um, contrasts very well with, um, with the other two, and she has more in common with Axel in that sense than than she might have imagined or might like. I thought this was really interesting was that Gala, her lightsabers are purple. And I know that's still a very rare color. And that like the first time we saw that was with Mace Windu. And I think it was because Samuel Jackson was like, I want a purple lightsaber. So did you have, did you have a, you know, were you allowed to decide her lightsaber color? I said, can I give her two lightsabers? And they mm-hmm. said yes. And they said, but they have to be the same color. Cause I was like, can one be pink? And <laughs> And I think I I chose purple because I was reading, you know, I don't know if this is official, but I read, I read that there was like, you know, purple is, 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 is a sign of wisdom. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, it's attributed, that's attributed, but you know, Jedi are supposed to be wise anyway. Yeah. Um, And so it, it was partially aesthetics and partially because I wanted it to feel different um, than the, than the other than the other Jedi around her, which predominantly have like green 
uh, green, blue, and um, and a lot of yellow actually. Yeah, in this phase, um, and so it just was another way to make her stand out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and it does emphasize her sort of outsider nature that she has like this kind of rare, this rare lightsaber color. Um, so I, I thought that was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that's interesting purple. Cause I know like, you know, yellow is supposed to be guardian and then, you know, blue, like they all have different, uh, different connotations. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting. And, um, do you have a fa- favorite scene when you were writing? Like, were you, was there a scene that you were like, ah, I really like the way that came out? Uh, I have a couple of, I have a couple of them. Um, it's all been such a blur this year. Um, but my favorite scene is I, I I do love the opening sequence of the book, like the first five chapters Mm -hmm. where we meet every character, um, that we're gonna, that we're gonna follow and it feels, and I wanted it to feel like dominoes tipping into each other. Um, but out of that sequence, my favorite would be Axel's opening chapter and we Mm -hmm. sort of see him without a care in the world. Um, and, and, uh, and then we understand why a little bit about why he is the way he is. Um, and so that was a lot of fun to write. And then the scenes where the, the four of them, uh, Axel, Gela, Fantu and Ziri are on the sail barge delivering aid and water. Mm -hmm. Uh, those were just really delightful because, what is more chaotic than four people for like four people who barely know each other, but have all of these connections stuck together on a, on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) It always makes for good drama. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. that was, that was just really fun because once, once they're on that boat, it's just the four of them and the story becomes about them. And I really wanted to focus um, there's, you know, this book could have easily been like 600 pages um, because I just, I could have just kept writing um, the in-between things, but I also wanted to keep the pace, pace going. So, um, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of left on the cutting room floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, were there any, um, Star Wars, like famous Star Wars characters you were thinking about when you were writing? Like, I'm going to give this person a dash of like, it's funny. Cause like, you know, I, I loved Axel's opening chapter because you understand him right away what he's like. And it's like, there's like a little dash of like Lando in there and there's a little dash of him, but like, were you thinking about that when you were writing or was it just sort of, you know, the characters coming to you? No, I think that uh, Axel definitely like. I almost, I almost felt like with um, with Axel, my thought was, what if, what if Han had been raised with privilege instead of like <laughs> in the slums of Corellia? Yeah. <laughs> um, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> galaxy would not have been saved. Um, and so, and so that because because there's nature and nurture, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I feel like Han would have eventually become who he was, right? But but the, the things that make us uh, are are definitive, and and so he with with Axel, I kept thinking about those kind of like devil may care characters, like Lando and like Han for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ziri, of course, you know, I was thinking Leia. of Leia. I was thinking of of um, Padme, um, and. And that was really, that was really important for me. And with, um, with Gela, sometimes I thought about Anakin and about Ahsoka mm-hmm. in the very early journeys, sort of like the Anakin and Ahsoka relationship as 
um, master, master and apprentice. Well, he's not a master, but yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, Jedi Knight and apprentice, um, and sort of that, like what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I watched a ton of, uh, rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, just sort of this, like the spirit of Kanan Jarrus overcame me. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard to be like, I want to put some of Kanan into Gela because um, he he was defined by um, by Order sixty six, right? He was defined mm-hmm. by uh, this tragedy, and so he wouldn't be who he who he became without that. And so Gela doesn't have that because she's at the height of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, but there's still certain personality traits that I was like, he's a little cranky and Gal is a little cranky too. She likes being alone. Like some of the Jedi there for some reason, she's stuck on a ship with like Jedi who like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so she thinks, you know, she's, she's, she's definitely on a journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, and you know, I loved, I loved the book. I encourage people to go out and see and read Convergence. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Zoraida Cordova and Maureen Lee Lenker for joining us this week. That was awesome. And thanks to you. Yes, you for listening and for sharing our dorky love of Star Wars. We would also love it if you would please follow and rate the podcast and tell all your friends about it too. And if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. And we'll even read it and give you a shout out right here on the pod. Unless you trash us or something, then probably not so much. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morg Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.